Hello and welcome to a new Studio Geek special. This time we're talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm Ron. And I'm Mon. Please be warned, we will be covering all six episodes of the show. And yes, there will be spoilers. If you haven't watched the show yet, check it out and then come back. So, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thoughts? Well, remember how we felt after Disney Investor Day? The trailer came out, people were hyped, you and I were worried. We thought that some of the bro-y relationship stuff was a little bit manufactured. We were worried that Disney was, as always, trying to sell us something which they wouldn't deliver. I can't say they proved us wrong. I was very tentative about this series, especially because we did really enjoy WandaVision. That show was quite different. It wasn't trying to be just an extension of the MCU. Falcon and the Winter Soldier definitely feels grounded in the mythos of the MCU. The visuals are very similar. The musical motives are exactly from the movies that we've already seen. I think the trailer made it look a particular way, which kind of put us on the back foot. I'm glad that the show actually didn't follow through with that tone. Yeah, me too. I think with the trailer, we were worried that there was going to be this 80s macho vibe. And considering that neither of these characters so far, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, they've been really great characters all this while in the MCU. Yes, they've been side characters. They really haven't been developed that much. So I was a little bit worried that, okay, the moment these two get the spotlight, we're going to see them out of character. Thankfully, we did not. In fact, I was actually quite surprised throughout the six episodes. They refer to so many aspects of the films and give us more insight into events that would have happened probably in the background. And I didn't expect that in all honesty. So shall we break it down episode by episode and review it that way? So we start off with New World Order. So this opening episode takes place six months after the events of Avengers Endgame. Steve is gone. The mantle of Captain America is kind of up in the air. Sam is actually trying to take care of family stuff. And Bucky is in therapy. I think for a lot of fans and for us as well, it felt like at the end of Endgame when Steve handed the shield to Sam, even though Sam was a little bit tentative, he was going to become Captain America. For New World Order to actually have him not do that was quite a departure from expectation. But I guess the name of the show itself kind of signposted that. We kept wondering why it's called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and not Captain America. And it explains that because Sam is just not comfortable adopting this moniker. I guess in a way you could say he's not comfortable with that because of his own identity. I think it was kind of just thrusted on him and he's trying to get used to the fact that he doesn't even have Steve in his life. And now he has to step into Steve's shoes. It's a lot for one person to take in. Also, he literally just came back to life. (laughs) It's too much. And also, I think the reason why it's a little bit more burdensome for Sam is because Steve Rogers, Captain America, would have been an icon when he was in the military. And it just so happens that he becomes his friend. But for Sam, Steve Rogers was Captain America. It didn't make sense for there to be a Captain America if Steve Rogers wasn't there. For us as fans, we were like, what? No, Sam, you have to be the new Captain America. 
it made sense to us but for him it didn't make sense and i thought that was interesting it was not what we were expecting especially for sam's growth throughout the mcu he has become an avenger but then the ending apparently a lot of people knew that john walker was going to be in this show and white russell was going to be playing him and i was just like what because i never remember any of these things so everything's a surprise to me so you have this whole thing with Sam giving up the shield and it being put in this beautiful glass case and there's this whole Smithsonian exhibit for Steve and you can feel like you know there's a lot of emotion and stuff and you get a scene with Rhodey which is great. I mean Don Cheadle is awesome as Rhodey and it's always great to see him. He was only in that one scene though and I was just like why? And then we have this moment when it's being announced that the government has chosen a new Captain America and this white dude who looks like the guy from Up turns up and he's holding Steve's shield. That really was like a dagger to the heart. And I thought it was very well done. I thought so too. Even though we knew US agent was going to join the show and that US agent is actually John Walker and in the comics he has taken on the moniker of Captain America. I feel like despite knowing all that the way the scene plays out it's still so heartbreaking because we're looking at it through Sam's eyes and he has out of the goodness of his own heart relinquished the title of Captain America he's relinquished the shield which belonged to his friend and the government just took that as a oh we can do whatever we want with it it was just a really well played out scene even though it was pretty wordless Yeah and I think the reason why it works is because throughout the first episode we are seeing the problems that Sam and his sister are having because they are a black family in America and that's not something that has been touched on in the MCU it's kind of like just happening in the background it doesn't seem to affect the actual heroes and here we see that hero or not they still have problems they can't get a bank loan and the guy on the one hand is like I want a selfie with the falcon on the other hand he's like oh you don't have any records for the last 5 years yeah but he's been dead for 5 years how is he going to show you anything and it's a really infuriating scene obviously the ending just made everything worse because you were like oh okay so this is how a black hero gets treated and this white guy from nowhere just gets handed one of the most symbolic icons in the country so it's quite an interesting start Yeah, I have to say. And we haven't even talked about the amazing opening action sequence with the Falcon. It is breathtaking. It really captured that original feeling that we had when the Falcon first took flight in Captain America the Winter Soldier. And the production values were fantastic. We knew this was going to happen, but still. I think what surprised me about that opening action scene was that this was not TV quality. I think it's pretty good that Marvel is actually pouring in that kind of money into its limited series and TV shows. It's kind of sad that they're doing it now when Agents of Shield was on for 7 seasons. We had all the Defenders shows and they never got a look see. They were always on the periphery, they were always on the outside. These are very intrinsically tied into the MCU and they've got a much bigger budget. We've also got a lot of eyeballs on them. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. Yeah, totally. So I think let's go into the second episode and we can talk a little bit more about Bucky because his introduction into the show was a bit underwhelming and it sort of picks up from the second episode. So Stark Spangled Man. This song, this title is synonymous with Steve Rogers. Not anymore. 
because John Walker literally has this gigantic parade where they're singing an updated version of this song. And it's so dissociative, the entire experience of seeing somebody who is very obviously not Steve Rogers in the Captain America outfit, enjoying the crowd, greeting the crowd, and the song is going on. I have to say the showrunners do a really good job of tugging on that nostalgia that we have for the first Captain America film, while also hitting us in the gut with this realization that yes, this is a new world order. And it's so manipulative, right? The government obviously knows that the Star Spangled Man song was associated with Steve. And they've just taken that and they're like, oh, it doesn't matter if there's a new person who's Captain America. The song still belongs to him. But Captain America was synonymous with Steve and has been all this while. And they're kind of just thrusting this person in our faces. And then you have that first interview with John Walker and he's trying to come across as really nice and he's talking about how Steve feels like a spiritual brother to him. And Bucky's face when he's watching that is so funny because he's just sitting there on the floor open mouth like, what is this guy talking about? I feel kind of bad because John Walker never stood a chance. From that first shot of him at the very end of the first episode, we hated him. Mainly because the shield belonged to Sam. The name Captain America belongs to Sam. But in the second episode, even when the show is trying to humanize him, we see his wife, we see his best friend Lamar. It doesn't matter, we're still like, give us our shield back. And it just goes downhill from there. Yeah, absolutely. The one good thing about John Walker taking on the mantle of Captain America is that Bucky and Sam are finally reunited. As we learn in the first episode, apparently Bucky has not been replying to Sam's texts. I think it's amazing that Sam is taking his role as Bucky's friend and protector really, really seriously. Because let's be honest, Sam hates Bucky. (laughs) And Sam rightfully has every reason to hate Bucky. The amount of trouble he caused Steve and Sam. Steve could at least stay alive because he had the serum in him. Sam was just a normal guy. As he said, when people are shooting at Steve, Sam's usually in the way. And Bucky was the reason why people were shooting at them. These were the little things that I really loved because Steve mattered to both of them. Of course Sam is going to be the bigger man and try and keep in touch with Bucky, despite all the hell that Bucky put him through. For Bucky to be the one who's like, nah, I'm not going to talk to this guy. I'm just like, what? Those are the little things about Bucky's characterization in the first episode that didn't quite work for me. I like the fact that he's in therapy. That's good. I like the fact that he's been given a pardon. He helped save the planet. But him ignoring the last vestige of Steve's connection to him just doesn't make sense. I also think that the idea that Bucky would go back to square one just because Steve has left, it didn't sit right with me. He's living in Brooklyn, Hmm. which is his hometown, but his apartment has no furniture. He only has a TV. I think he has a cell phone. Yeah, he has a really old-fashioned cell phone, right? Yeah. He goes to therapy and he tries to make amends in quotation marks. As we find out later, he's not making amends, (laughs) he's avenging his wrongs. It felt disingenuous to sort of write Bucky as stuck in one place, not reaching out to the people who care about him. And they sort of tried to do this thing where the only way Bucky gets out of this funk is through some romantic entanglement. So he goes out on a date with a waitress and then abandons her halfway through. In contrast with Sam, who had so much depth in the first episode, I couldn't wait for EP2 Bucky because EP1 Bucky was kind of badly written. Yeah, he didn't work for me either. 
the moment he's with Sam again in the second episode, things are much better. And I felt like it was a bit like Bucky doesn't work unless you have that direct MCU connection throughout the first episode. That's not really there. Like, yes, we get a few flashbacks to the Winter Soldier, that kind of thing. But until he's with Sam, those other parts of Bucky's life just doesn't work. Yeah, I was really happy when he confronted Sam in the second episode. And then that's it. They're stuck together after that. It really worked. They banter with each other. They do not get along. But they're very good at working together. They're not a well-oiled machine because as soon as the bad guys, the flag smashers, get in their way, Bucky is totally stuck. (laughs) And they don't listen to each other. They go in different directions. They get into trouble. And then you have the added tension of John Walker and Lamar Hoskins turning up and actually doing a better job at fighting the flag smashers, which is annoying, but... Also, you kind of understand it because John and Lamar are very good at fighting together. They've been fighting together for years. They're best friends. The reason why Steve and Bucky fought well together, Steve and Sam fought well together, is because he was best friends with both of them. Sam and Bucky? Disaster. And they end up losing that fight. Yeah. With the second episode, again, we sort of treading on eggshells with these two characters. But them being together and that chemistry between the two of them, it really works to get us interested in this show. And the fact that the two of them have a common enemy, they both dislike John Walker. So that kind of ends up giving them a reason to bond. Because otherwise, I don't think they would have had a reason to actually speak to each other. And from then on, it becomes a lot smoother. And of course, by the end of Star Spangled Man, we get another MCU character, Zemo. As far as I'm concerned, from all the MCU villains, Zemo was the only one who succeeded. It was definitely exciting to have Zemo back and we get to see a lot more of him in the third episode, Power Broker. The prison breakout was unexpectedly funny, especially because Bucky's kind of standing there telling Sam, hypothetically, if Zemo were to break out, this is how it would happen. And then he's actually made sure that Zemo did break out. And you're like, why would you do that? We understand. Zemo hates super soldiers. He also knows a lot about super soldiers. The Flag Smashers are super soldiers. Ergo, we need Zemo's help. But also, Zemo was the reason why the Avengers broke up. That man should stay in jail. But that dynamic between Zemo, Sam and Bucky, I did not see that coming. Same. I was definitely surprised, but it really worked. Recasting Zemo as this rich baron kind of made sense because he's not just rich. He is very cultured, he's very smart, he's very intelligent. In every scene that we see him in, he's always the smartest guy in the room, which is kind of annoying because he's the villain. He's also the kind of person who did really bad things because he was in a very bad place and he had the facility to do it. I don't think at any point the writing makes us think that we can forgive this man. However, he is a means to an end, which is something that Bucky reiterates later on as well. But he's also really a fun character to hang out with and he's really charming. They were really smart in bringing Zemo back and using him kind of as a plot device, but also to bring some much needed levity to the show. What I also liked about him being Baron Zemo in the show was that it retroactively kind of explained how he managed to do everything that he did in Civil War. Because Zemo spends two years tracking Bucky, keeping an eye on the Avengers. And there's no way he could have done that if he didn't have money. I remember when we were watching it, we were like, how has he been able to do all this? Like, he's traveling around the world, he's learning these languages, 
how is it possible for somebody who is just an ordinary person to have saved up that much money so now it makes sense but it doesn't take away the fact that when the battle in sokovia happened he did lose his family so his need for vengeance kind of made sense it's just that at the end of it the avengers did break up <laughs> and thanos would not have won had zemo not won right this is so true we are definitely always going to fight zemo's corner because way too many people ignored the fact that he was a very successful very smart villain I think among the fans who love villains like Loki, I mean Loki is great. We love that character, of course. But you don't need to be as grandiose or as flamboyant as Loki to make a difference. Zemo was very quiet about it. He was just an ordinary guy. That's why he was successful. You don't think that a regular guy is going to be able to break up the Avengers. But he was meticulous about it. He was very determined and he got what he wanted. So it's interesting after all that to see him back here and Bucky springs him from jail and you can never trust him but he also doesn't do anything terrible yeah i mean he shoots one scientist because he's the only person who knows how to make super soldier serum which i completely understand because zemo really hates super soldiers so of course he wants to make sure that there is no possibility of anybody making the serum after the scientist In general, it seemed like throughout the course of this episode, every time Zemo had a chance to escape, he didn't. He always came back. Of course, it's a good thing he did because otherwise, we would never have been introduced to MCU Madripoor, which has got to be everybody's favorite MCU destination now. Well, Madripoor has a long history in the Marvel comics, but is usually associated with the X-Men. So a lot of people were excited thinking that this means that the X-Men will be coming. Now both WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier have kind of hinted at the X-Men somewhere, but we still don't have definitive proof. On the one hand, people are like, we have had so many X-Men movies and so many of them sucked. Maybe just let it go. On the other hand, we don't want the MCU to be like we'll dip into the X-Men part, just take some of those stories, those locations, those characters, but let's not actually do anything with the X-Men. I hope that they don't do that. Maybe they are paving the path for the X-Men's final arrival into the MCU. I think the Marvel executives are going to be really smart about how they use the X-Men hmm. and how they introduce the X-Men. because they have this 20 year knowledge of where the x-men went right where they went wrong they are sussing out the fan reaction they already have the face for slate for the mcu they already have fantastic four lined up they're not going to thrust the x-men on us not so fast they're going to wait for an opening hmm. so i know we are all excited but what they're doing right now is that they're giving us a feel of the Marvel comic universe through these screen properties but they're eking it out. Hmm. I think they're being really smart. Yeah, I guess so. I think the Madripoor setting was really exciting. However, I was really disappointed that Marvel went the same route as so many properties before it and had this extremely Southeast Asian aesthetic and there was not a single Southeast Asian person inside in Madripoor. Now, this has been a problem for a really long time from like Blade Runner, Firefly. In 2021 to have a Marvel property do that, that was really frustrating. I know a lot of people are upset whenever we do return to madripur hopefully they will have more people who are actually from southeast asia 
Otherwise, the setting was really exciting. It was quite different from what we've seen in the MCU. It was quite rugged and a bit scary, a bit quirky. That drink that poor Sam had to drink. <sighs> Very brave of him. But Zemo was completely in his element over there. And that was an interesting sight to see because he wasn't really in charge all this while. But yeah, the outfits, hilarious. What I liked about it is that Zemo's in charge, but he sort of knows when to defer to both Sam and Bucky. But also the way Sam and Bucky fall in line with what Zemo is doing, because this is his area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Sam is dressed in this flamboyant outfit because he's pretending to be some other guy, the smiling tiger. (laughs) As Sam says, even his name sucks. He's apparently wearing heels, which is really hilarious. I really wish we'd been able to see how high his heels were because he can't run in them. And Bucky has to pretend to be the Winter Soldier again and a Winter Soldier who is working for Zemo. I just really like the entire feel of it because it's really quite uncomfortable knowing that Zemo's the guy in charge and Sam and Bucky are quite helpless. Hmm. But you also know that Zemo can't really push his boundaries too much because he's at their mercy too. Mm. So this amazing little dynamic between these three characters really brought this entire episode to life. There was so much hype after this episode because people were kind of in love with the whole aesthetic Mm. and the whole feel of it, which we haven't really had in the MCU that much. There's an intensity, but also a levity. They really played it well. And then, of course, we finally meet Sharon Carter, who's been on the run and is now living in Madripoor. She's kind of exiled there. Her family doesn't know where she is, but she still helps Sam and Bucky, which is great. We see her living in Hightown. She's living it up. She's got all these art pieces, which she's selling to her buyers. Of course, we find out so much more about Sharon later on. She gets this awesome action sequence. And I have to say, it is such a surprise that when Sharon leads the three guys to meet the scientist who has the super soldier serum, she's the only one on the outside. And there are goons after goons coming at her. And she is just knocking them dead. She's pretty brutal, which is kind of scary because we have not seen that level of brutality in the MCU proper. We're not talking about the Netflix stuff, which has its moments. She's very obviously shooting people and really harming them. But it was impressive to see a female character hold her own. She wasn't suddenly rescued by anyone. She wasn't asking for any help. You know, she's just a one-person army. It was really impressive. I think the reason why the fight scene also stood out was because Shannon really hasn't had that much to do in the MCU. She's been kind of pigeonholed into the love interest who helps out. And it also shows us how much she's changed. The Sharon Carter that we see in Falcon and Winter Soldier is a different person from who she was in Winter Soldier, in Civil War. And she's hurting. She didn't get the pardons, the life that Sam and Bucky got. Winter Soldier, who changed the course of history, he gets a pardon. Sharon Carter, who was helping Steve Rogers, helped Bucky. No pardon. Forgotten. Even worse. So it really does make us wonder what these guys were all doing. Can we say the Avengers were just so depressed, so grief-stricken themselves that they forgot about the other people? Whoever wasn't in their vicinity in Wakanda was just forgotten? That's the only thing I can think of. Like, why would Steve forget Peggy Carter's niece, his friend, maybe love interest, who knows? Why would he forget her? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that 
seriously he saw bucky die he didn't even see sam died he could of course assume that and then that's it he was just like okay we lost and he was just broken after that that's my only thought i can't really think of anything else as a reason from what we saw in end game it seemed like the avengers kind of closed ranks and focused on the big problems the major issues even with ronan Clint Barton was just going around the world decimating these cartels and yakuza or whatever and that was going on for a while and it was only when they needed Clint to come in that they actually went to look for him until then it was just like oh this is a problem shouldn't you be doing something about it he's an avenger who's killing people who had nothing to do with what's going on in the world so i feel like a lot of people did get left behind and Sharon Carter unfortunately was one of them yeah it's really disappointing So I guess it's not surprising though that her trajectory ends up the way it does in the show. Yeah, I agree with you. We don't actually get to see much of that. And in Power Broker it's not even mentioned. You don't even realize that there's something off about Sharon. You just feel bad and Sam and Bucky also feel bad. Sam immediately says, "I can do something. I can fix this." And that's great because that's his immediate reaction. Most of this episode is just a little bit of fun really. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that this episode is probably a favorite among a lot of people because it is just so much fun. I would say that it's probably the one with the most glaring writing issues because Bucky explaining to Sam how he broke Zemo out is very clever, but where did Bucky have the time to plant all the keys and the clues for Zemo to get out? Where was the time? There's also a lot of other small things. Things like Sam saying, "Oh, it happens in every action movie." Sam wouldn't need to say that because he was literally a soldier. So was Bucky. Hmm. So was Sharon. <laughs> well, that's a really fun scene and an extremely fun dialogue. It just doesn't make sense in the context of these characters. So yeah, it there's just a few little things here and there, but honestly, it's such a fun episode that you won't even notice it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that Zemo of all people brings so much levity into the show because he was downright scary in Civil War. So, this is really really unexpected but also extremely enjoyable. And I like that Daniel Bruhl doesn't play him, you know, all ham-fisted. Mm. He's not trying to be a caricature or he's not trying to be a comedic character. He's just playing Zemo as Zemo. It's just that the reactions of Zemo and the reactions to Zemo are what bring the levity. So that way the combination of the writing directly and the performances really works. Yeah. So then we move on to episode 4. Quite a sea change, right, from episode 3. For the most part the whole world is watching kind of follows the similar levity the tone of the previous episode we got to see the dora milaje which is really exciting because we weren't expecting any wakandan references in falcon and the winter soldier and it was great that from the second episode bucky was talking about being in wakanda he tells sam that his name is actually white wolf and sam is actually surprised because he's like wait what they named you something and then we get to see Ayo and she's not happy i like the fact that there's that immediate connection with the events of civil war king tchaka was extremely important he was king of wakanda for so long and the way he was taken from them was so arbitrary and of course zemo's fault but it's kind of part of the reason why you can see in black panther that tchala doesn't really want to be going out there Because look what happened when they went outside, right? 
But of course, everything with Killmonger makes him realize that outside Wakanda's walls is a world that needs their resources. And we're seeing a little bit of that here with Ayo coming to meet Bucky and actually speaking to him about handing Zemo over. What I really like is that Bucky and Ayo have the kind of relationship where Bucky can say, I need this man, he's a means to an end, give me a little bit more time, then you can have him. And Ayo is like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. You're the White Wolf, you've been in Wakanda, we've seen what you went through. I can give you this time, but then after that, you have to stick to that deadline. I love that Bucky's connection with Wakanda is kind of explored in the show because he was there for a long time and they made such a difference to his life. They deconditioned him. I felt like the level of trust between Ayo and Bucky was quite obvious between the two characters and also the fact that they've obviously had a kind of professional connection for a long time in Wakanda. Ayo is a very strong warrior. After Okoye, there's probably nobody better. So it seems like the Wakandans had placed a lot of emphasis on Ayo keeping an eye on Bucky when Mm -hmm. he was deconditioning. So as we see in the beginning of this episode, she's the one who is there for the last test to make sure that, yes, the programming is gone. Because if the programming wasn't, then Ayo would at least be able to fight off the Winter Soldier. So I really like that beginning and the fact that that's not the only scene we see of the Dora Milaje. They come back later, so that's cool. This episode is a lot slower in pace. Hmm. It feels kind of like a filler episode because a lot of it could have been part of the previous and the next episodes, but it wasn't. Again with Zemo, he feels like the smartest guy in the room, but you get the feeling that with Sam and Bucky, they're getting a bit touchy now. Hmm. They feel like they're close to the prize, they have a deadline looming, and Zemo is just antagonizing them. One of my biggest issues with this episode was that Bucky and Sam don't obviously use their brains too much. <laughs> they just go head first into stuff. Whereas Zemo, he very calmly and coolly gets information because he's using his brains. Clearly Steve Rogers was 90% of their impulse control. Sure seems like it. Because when they go into the refugee camp looking for Kali Morgenthau, who is the primary antagonist of the series, they just go in there asking. Everybody knows who Sam Wilson is. Mm. Everybody knows who Bucky Barnes is. Nobody's going to answer your questions. It's Zemo who gets the answers they're looking for. And it's like really frustrating when you watch them doing silly things like that because you're like, they're smarter than that, surely. I could still maybe excuse Bucky because he hasn't been Bucky in a long time. He's really just been pulled into fights. But Sam has had to be tactical. So for him to kind of just go in there and try and ask questions, it doesn't make sense because Sam is a very sympathetic person and he wants to understand why Kali is doing the things that she's doing. It just doesn't make sense the way they went about it in this episode. That's true. I like the fact that Sam kind of tries his level best to see the best in Kali. When he finally finds her, he talks to her and tries to engage with her. But then again, there's this moment in there when John Walker and Lamar Hoskins sort of barge in and interrupt Carly and Sam. And you're like, but Bucky was actually standing in the doorway stopping them. Mm. What happened? Like, how did these two normal humans with one shield between them push through a metal armed super soldier? Like, it doesn't make sense sometimes. 
it felt like there was a moment that wasn't shown to us and i don't know why they would have done that because it does leave you with a lot of questions yeah did they convince bucky that sam was in danger did they convince bucky that sam was stupid <laughs> Like what? Like what did they do? Or did they do the whole Marty McFly thing? <laughs> and why would Bucky fall for that? So it really like makes me wonder about some of the writing moments in this entire series. Yeah, I feel like this episode was going one way, and then suddenly Lamar Hoskins is killed, and the entire tone changes. Because not only is Lamar killed, and you really feel for John because Lamar is basically John's Bucky, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if John was Steve Rogers, that's exactly mm-hmm. how we would have viewed the whole thing. And we know the kind of lengths that Steve has gone to to save Bucky mm-hmm. in all three films. <laughs> so you see this, mm-hmm. but then John just takes it a whole new level. and them sort of showing how he kills this innocent flag smasher the same flag smasher who earlier had said that he had looked up to captain america and now he's been killed by captain america the poetic irony of that is so horrible mm. and the fact that john is ruthless mm. a lot of this episode is also about the parallels between john and sam mm. so where sam is immediately not interested in the super soldier serum John on the other hand has a conversation with Lamar and then decides to take it. But you can see from the very beginning that he's tempted by it and then when he has that dust up with the Dora Milaje who are just trained soldiers they don't have any serum running through their blood but they make chutney out of him and he's so shocked that these people just easily took him and Lamar down. That's when he really starts thinking about it. Like there is no way that he can continue being Captain America if he doesn't have something extra. Yeah, and I think that they didn't build up the fact that there is insecurity in John Walker. Hmm. There are a few scenes where he's talking about he's not sure about this. He seems to be suggesting that some of the medals that he earned, he's not proud of them because of the actions that he took. we never are privy to what those were we don't need to be mm. we understand that these are burdens that weigh heavily on this man yeah but i feel like his relationship with the super soldier serum his relationship with the icon that is captain america could have been built out more yeah just so that we understood this character as more than the guy who stole steel's shield because the first two episodes it seems like he's just an ordinary soldier who's very happy to be defending the world as captain america you get these moments where he's trying to push his boundaries with people especially with bucky and sam he wants to be captain america and he wants other people to fall in line with him when bucky and sam don't do that then he's just like then don't get in my way it's very black and white with him those moments happen fairly often but in the whole world is watching it felt like there was a lot more to him than just that the way he's vacillating between whether he should continue letting sam speak to carly or whether he should actually go in there and arrest her he's so restless he can't stand still he's getting more and more agitated these are not the reactions of somebody who should be carrying the shield but we don't really know why that is and then once he gets the serum and you see him kill the flag smasher you get the inkling that okay this man maybe should not have been given the all clear in his psyche well and that's completely correct because when we start off with the fifth episode truth we begin to realize that this is true the truth is that he probably did not pass his psyche well 
the way John is trying to convince himself that yes, he was in the right for killing this innocent flag smasher, it's just frightening. Because that man, while he was dying, was literally saying, I'm innocent, I didn't do it. And here's John standing there on his own saying, no, no, I was completely right. You know, he had to die. It's like he's convinced himself. And later on in truth, when he actually goes to speak to Lamar's parents, they're obviously very, very upset. They know John. These boys have obviously grown up together because the parents, they are so loving towards John. And then they're like, the person you killed, he's the one who did this to our son. And John just says, yes. And I was just like, did you just lie to these parents? I mean, on the one hand, you're like, what's he going to say? He can't possibly tell them, no, I killed some other random dude, the actual person who killed your son. She's still out there. That's not what you want to tell grieving parents. But on the other hand, barefacedly lying to people in grief, people who love you, astounding. I was just like, wow, this guy is, this guy is off the deep end. Yeah. The fight scene that ensues right after the killing of the flag smasher is another reminder that this guy is not to be trifled with because he doesn't seem to have a moral code. His aim in life is to prove that he is Captain America. And I think that's the biggest problem with John. It parallels Sam's own reservations, right? He was stepping into somebody else's shoes. He was carrying somebody else's shield. Hence, he was the better man, decided against picking up that mantle because it didn't feel like it was his. Mm. John's been given this and he was big-headed enough to believe that he deserved it. Mm. And we see in truth that there is a reason why these two characters are at opposing ends Mm. and why one seems to deserve the shield over the other. I really would have liked to get some inkling of who John Walker was before Captain America came anywhere near him. Because, especially in truth, the way he keeps insisting, I am Captain America, it's almost like he's convincing himself. Because maybe somewhere in the recesses of his mind, he's realized what he just did, that's not a Captain America thing to do. And of course, in the middle of it all, grief is in the mix. Lamar obviously was a huge part of his existence. For him to die like that, it's affected him. But him having taken the super soldier serum, it's messed up a lot of what was already wrong with him. What we know is that he did what he had to do as a soldier. He didn't like it. Those acts have weighed very heavily on his mind, which is again making me wonder, how did he get chosen to be Captain America? Because this is not a man who sleeps soundly at night. Watching the events of The Whole World is Watching and the Aftermath in Truth, you can see why Steve decided not to give Bucky the shield. He chose Sam. Because from what we see in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, John is as messed up as Bucky. But the government decided to give him the shield. And this is what's happened. Bucky literally says in The Whole World is Watching that John is crazy. And he knows that because he is crazy. (laughs) Exactly. And there are now deaf people. Exactly. And one of the things that Sebastian Stan mentioned about Bucky in the first film, Captain America, the first Avenger, is that in his reading of Bucky in some of the comic runs, he felt like Steve was the good guy, Hmm. the morally high ground kind of guy. So some of the dirty deeds were actually done by Bucky. Hmm. So as we see in Captain America, the first Avenger, Steve's going around knocking people with his shield, but Bucky's the one with the sniper rifle. Bucky doing the dirty deeds, saving Captain America from that. The reason is that Captain America has clean hands. 
with John, he's already come in with dirty hands. Mm. And the adage that to be Captain America, you have to be a good man. Everything we know about Sam Wilson tells us that he is one. What we know of Sam when he was part of the Project Falcon is that he wasn't going around shooting people. But with John and with Bucky, we have the parallel that, yeah, they were kind of killers. Bucky was a killer even before Winter Soldier. Maybe that's why he was such a good Winter Soldier. Oh, so true. With truth, all these truths come out Mm. and it's just so disturbing. Especially in the first fight scene when Sam and Bucky, who have been fighting for the shield, are literally at the receiving end of it. That fight scene was very reminiscent of the fight between Bucky, Steve and Tony in Captain America Civil War. But wow, this one is so brutal. Like, you can feel those punches. I liked what they were doing here because you immediately know that in Civil War, those three were holding back because Steve and Tony were friends. Bucky knew that they were friends. So nobody was actually trying to murder each other. Here, it's not like that. Bucky and Sam are trying to protect each other. But John is trying to save his own beacon. He does not want his shield to be taken away. He does not want to lose being Captain America. And the way he fights for it, as you said, it's brutal. Yeah. He's not afraid to hurt these two. Bucky can at least take it because he's a super soldier. But poor Sam. (laughs) My gosh, that poor lad. He does get a beating, doesn't he? Yeah. And he keeps getting back up. And he's so deft with his wings. He uses them to perfection. We haven't actually seen that kind of wing fighting in the MCU. He's usually used his wings just to fly about. But the wings over here, they work so brilliantly. And the fact that he can get hit and still keep coming back, I thought that was really commendable because he's just an ordinary guy. And even after that, he still doesn't want the serum. One of the other aspects of the shield that, well, you probably didn't have to talk about it that much, but it was implied, is that the shield is the last remaining part of Steve Rogers. So for Sam and Bucky, the shield is kind of sentimental in a way. And after John kills this poor flag smasher with the shield, it's the first time we see blood on the shield. And that's quite a striking and kind of a gory image. But what I liked in truth was that once Sam and Bucky, after having been beat down so many times, finally win against John and Sam's got the shield back, you see him kind of wiping the blood off the shield. And it's a very sweet, touching moment. I liked those bits. That fight scene was really good because not only was it beautifully choreographed, but it really worked hard to develop character. And I think it's so hard, right? Because we do watch these shows and these films for the action. But sometimes the action just feels overlong and gratuitous. Hmm. But this one, this particular fight scene, it did a lot to tell us so much about these characters. And I really appreciated the fact that even though we were on the penultimate episode of the series, they were working hard to tell us something new about these people. Yeah. So you have all these things happening and then they kind of just have to give up. And we got this really nice long sequence when they're in Louisiana. Then the tone completely changes with Sam going back to Louisiana and being with his sister and the two of them trying to fix the boat and then Bucky turns up and you're like, wait, what? Why are you here? And they don't want to hang out together, but they do hang out together and they're fixing the boat and you need those kind of interludes. With the Marvel films, you don't have the time for that. You only really have two hours. There's so much story to tell. There's so much action to show. But with a TV series, you've got that time. It's basically a six-hour-long movie. So you've got a lot of time for that character building. And it's 
kind of sweet to see Sam and Bucky just trying to get closer to each other, but also accepting the fact that the reason why they're connected is gone. So it works. We also get this very long montage of Sam learning how to use the shield, and we see him training and stuff. Not all of it worked for me. Oh, really? Yeah, because why do we need to see Sam training? He's already a soldier. He's already well-built. It makes sense to see him train with the shield because it's vibranium. It's not made to be caught by a normal person. So it does take him a bit of practice. But him, you know, the whole rocky (laughs) montage sequence, it didn't quite make sense because he's already there. It's just that this one specific skill he needs to work on. But by the end of it, you know what is going to happen. You just don't know how it's going to happen. So then we come to the finale. One world, one people. And that's the motto of the Flag Smashers. I guess they're a Marvel villain. I'm actually surprised that in the six episodes, they weren't as well constructed as they should have been. Kali Margenthau is a villain. PM. There's no reason why she should be. The Flag Smashers' goal is to bring the world together without boundaries as it was during the days of the blip. And for some reason for that, they're bad people. And the show kind of makes it so that we feel like that because Carly randomly blows up people. And yes, these are strategic targets, but the victims are still ordinary people just doing their jobs. And there's no reason why she has to do it. I think with this Flag Smashers, this show really struggled and I would say it kind of failed. Especially in the final episode, it seemed like the showrunners just wanted to double down on the fact that the Flag Smashers are bad, you shouldn't be rooting for them. I think we were really let down by Mm. those characters and their entire arc. They sort of all died and then that was it. Yeah, especially because think of the optics. You have Kali Morgantha, who's played by Erin Kellerman, who's a biracial black woman, and she's the bad guy. And she's the bad guy for wanting to bring the world together. It just doesn't look right. And had we had a bit more time to understand them, maybe we could have felt something. But you're just like, why are you telling me how to feel about these people? And it really did feel like that. Because Sam believes in her and believes that she's got good in her. But nothing she does seems that way. Aside from the first episode where Hmm. they were seemingly ferrying vaccines to the refugee camps, after that she really went downhill. It was really 0 to 100. Yeah, again. Yes. With Marvel villains, it's always like that. And it doesn't make sense for this particular group to be like that, which was frustrating. I felt like with Carly, maybe if she'd had more screen time or some better writing, if we'd understood her anger along with her goal and her mission, it's just that she kept telling us that Hmm. these people are terrible, these things that they're doing are terrible. We just didn't have enough background or context for why she's feeling this way and why she's feeling such animosity Hmm. that she's going around killing innocent people. Yeah. In that sense, I would say the finale fell flat. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the action was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Sam having the falcon wings and the shield fighting with both of them, it looked so good. We haven't seen action like that. I don't know how they shot it, but it looked really great. And his costume is so close to the comic book. And it works. Yeah. (laughs) It really works. I kind of wish we'd seen Sam and Bucky fighting together. Mm. That was the only thing I really, really missed. 
because Bucky goes off on his own and after some time he's working with US agent well John Walker mm. before he's US agent <laughs> but Sam is kind of on his own for the most part yeah. and while he's really smart and he's really good as Captain America I just really want to see them fight side by side <laughs> yeah that would have been nice and Sharon Carter kind of comes in but she doesn't really do much and you're like why is she holding back then we find out that she's actually the power broker there have been rumors from like 2 3 episodes ago that she might be i don't know how to feel about this on the one hand i get it she's upset she's been abandoned she's lost everything she knew of course she's going to do whatever she can to get some power on the other hand really it doesn't sit right with me it seems really unfair to sharon carter yeah as a character because there are so few women characters in the mcu as it is and you've got this one good person suddenly she's a bad guy and also we don't know the depths that the power broker has gone to we don't know how powerful the power broker is so it's hard to gauge just how scared we should be of Sharon's transformation hmm and with Sharon and whatever trajectory she's on and Carly having been killed i wonder why there's kind of a dichotomy between who gets redemption and who doesn't I mean the winter soldier really did mess up a lot of things but somehow bucky is getting to live a life by the end of the series he's pretty much with the wilsons now and he's part of the family but carly has to have died well the only difference between carly and the winter soldier is that bucky didn't have much of a choice in what he did as the winter soldier so in that case he can be forgiven I mean he was actually brainwashed he did not have any control over it. So I can understand that dichotomy that's fine. I just don't understand the evolution of Sharon. Hmm. Because Carly I felt like they really wanted us to care about this character but they never wrote her as someone we should care about. But with Sharon, A she's a comic book character who we all are familiar with. She's always been Captain America's girlfriend and she's been on the right side of Marvel comic books. so for her to evolve into somebody who could potentially be a huge threat that's the only worrying part will we see her again well apparently there's going to be a second season for this show captain america 4 is also happening with anthony mackie as captain america i don't know whether we'll see the characters from this show turn up in the movie but the second season we could see more of sharon carter maybe even more of zemo and the countess played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus which was a surprise i guess i don't know people were making like a big deal about it and i was just like why wouldn't it be in a marvel property her kids are probably really excited i feel like that part of it is going to be interesting hmm. it's never going to be the compelling pull for me because hmm. for me i just want to see sam and bucky being sam and bucky yeah and evolving and growing as characters hanging out together action fight scenes and that's what we got with this season we saw sam grow we saw bucky grow we saw them come together come closer i just really like that mm. and in the end when the title card changes from the falcon and the winter soldier to captain america and the winter soldier i was squealing <laughs> with glee yeah that's what we were wondering from the beginning of the show right why isn't it captain america and the winter soldier well, now we know why i still don't know why it's still winter soldier though <laughs> Is he going to reclaim that name maybe who knows but yeah this show was interesting because it gave us more of two characters who we do care about who haven't had the opportunity to grow in the films so yes they needed this platform but with the other characters like John now he is US agent how come he's not in prison i still don't know but for some reason he's out there 
Sharon really, I just don't understand why they've had to go into make her a bad guy mode. The character I am excited for is Joaquin Torres, played by Danny Ramirez. Joaquin is from the comics. He's Falcon in the comics. His design in the comics that I've read, they're kind of creepy. So, oh. yeah, because he's an actual like part Falcon. Oh, I really hope he doesn't turn into a part Falcon. I hope they don't go with that design either. But we did see him kind of get the suit from Sam. So maybe he will become Falcon. I do love him geeking out over Sam from the very first episode. It's very sweet. And it's a really nice way to introduce a character. We haven't been able to talk about Isaiah Bradley yet. Played by Carl Lumley. Isaiah Bradley is a character from the comics. So Isaiah was introduced in a limited comic run where he was part of a regiment of black soldiers who were experimented on. And when the government decided to abandon them, he stole the Captain America suit and tried to save them. And for his efforts, he was unfortunately imprisoned and experimented on even more. His story in the TV show is a little bit different. In fact, the way they've written his character and his actions parallel Steve's exactly the way he tried to save Bucky and his regiment. It's really heartbreaking, especially because we know about the Tuskegee Airmen who were also kind of forgotten by history. And a lot of Isaiah's story is based on those forgotten heroes. I am so glad that after that little snippet that we saw in the second episode, he did come back and his story was expanded on. And Sam's connection with Isaiah was also expanded. And that was really good. Because I was a little bit confused when initially it was Bucky who knew him. And he dragged Sam there and Isaiah was really upset. And he seemed to be agitated at the sight of Bucky. And it seemed like, what is Bucky doing? But the last two episodes when Sam meets Isaiah, I feel like he was able to form a sort of bond with him. And in the final episode, he really seemed to thaw that cold heart of his. <laughs> yeah. I felt like Sam meeting Isaiah gave him the impetus to become Captain America. Even though Isaiah didn't want him to take on the mantle, Sam had a lot to think about. And it was good to get that other perspective because for Sam, it was like getting the Captain America shield from John Walker was really important. But why Isaiah and people like Isaiah would not want Sam to take on a mantle that was kind of embedded in oppression did make sense. But in the end, it was Sam's choice. And it'll be interesting to see how the fourth film explores what it means for Sam to actually be Captain America. But through Isaiah, we also get Eli, his grandson. And in the comics, Eli is Patriot, who is also a part of Sam's group. So maybe Elijah Richardson, who is playing Eli, has hinted at there maybe being a feature for his character. Who knows? A lot of people were really excited because it seems like the makings of Young Avengers has been in the works. A lot of the characters have been introduced by now. But who knows? We haven't got any confirmation yet. Let's not get excited. But it would be great to see something like that. On the whole, this show was surprisingly enjoyable. It was a bit darker than I expected. I really did think that it would be more bantery and fun. I didn't mind the dark bits. I think they worked well. Certain characters worked better for me. Isaiah was definitely a highlight. I loved Sam and his sister Sarah. The glimpses we got of the Dora Milaje, lots of fun. Bucky initially really wasn't sure about him, but it got a lot better. Sharon, she's doing a good job of what she's got. 
but I don't know what the future for Sharon holds. I really wish it wasn't in the darker direction that it's apparently going. John Walker, <laughs> it looks like that guy's going to be hanging around. He's probably going to be a thorn in Captain America's side. That's for sure. A second season would definitely be welcome. And I think it would be needed. Whereas with WandaVision, it works as a whole. Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, it probably needs a bit more time with some of these characters. But otherwise, surprisingly enjoyable. Yeah, I really liked the show. I would go as far as to say I actually really loved it. Yeah, there were some writing issues and I will admit that yes, the villains were underdone. They were very formulaic, which honestly, the first episode seemed to suggest that they weren't going mm. to be. So that was really disappointing. But if you come here for Sam and Bucky, you are going to get Sam and Bucky and they are great. They are fantastic. It seems like Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan seem to be really enjoying playing these characters and fleshing them out, which is great. I mean, at the end of it, it seems like the two of them as characters have really formed a bond. They seem to have accepted that Bucky is just part of the Wilson family now. <laughs> and it's great because he's been kind of on his own all this while. And for whatever reason, Steve wasn't able to give him that family feeling mm. because Steve himself was a man out of time. Sam isn't. Mm. So it was really nice to see these characters get a platform and then really grow into it. Mm. I would honestly love to see a second season. I would love to see a second season and Captain America 4. Yeah. Because I can't get enough of these characters. So please, Marvel, keep at it. What did you think of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Stereo underscore Geeks or send us an email at StereoGeeksPodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next week. The Stereo Geeks logo was created using Canva. The music for our podcast comes courtesy Audio Nautilus.